If you're, if you're a visitor here this morning, uh, thank you. We're awful glad uh, that you joined us. There's a lot of great uh, churches in our community, a lot of great places to be, and so we're just grateful that you are with us today. And we're grateful that you would uh, take your time. My name's Darren. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. God has been very fascinatingly uh, kind to us as a church that uh, we are church on mission. If you're wondering where did that name come from, good question. <laughs> it's not a very exciting name, but it's a name that really explains to us who we are. This is me trying to connect right now. Jonathan, I'm sorry. Uh, I was supposed to do this a minute ago. I apologize. We're a church called Conduit because that's what we are, is a conduit of his resources, of his spirit, of, of Jesus to the community right here in front of us and to the world around us. And if you would, uh, this morning, be prayerful for those conduits that we have in the world right now. Audrey Pate, we sent her out a few weeks ago. She is in India, uh, which is uh, far <laughs> from here. She's 24, 2 years old, away from home uh, for the first time, like, like literally like halfway around the world. And she's, you know, she's doing great. She's tough as nails. If you've been around Audrey, you know that she is tough. And she, has, uh, she is doing amazing over there. But I just want us to be in, in prayer for her, be in prayer for the Fadley family who she has joined there uh, as they are serving these special needs uh, kids in, uh, at Sarah's Covenant home in India. I'm actually getting, I have a, uh, the privilege of going there. I did not get enough curry in my life this year, so we're going to do that again, call and redo. Uh, that was the longest plane ride home. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, but we're going back. Uh, David Christopher, who is here this morning as well, we're going to be uh, going over there and just loving on them, taking uh, some time to uh, just invest in these folks that are from our church. I mean, if you've not been here, they literally, they're here. They're, they're Williamson County people that just gave up everything and moved to India to be a part of what God is, is doing there. And, and also keep in mind Ben Holton in uh, in prayer this morning as well. Ben is our guy in, in Haiti right now, and he is uh, working like a rented mule down there. <laughs> They're just literally busting his hump, uh, and he is doing awesome. And we'll be there. I'm going to go there in November with a few folks, and we're going to come back. He's going to come back with us actually for just in time for Thanksgiving. Very exciting. I was watching the news this week, and I saw. Uh, Something fascinating. I don't know if you guys saw uh, Billy Joe Armstrong, the lead singer of Green Day, have a meltdown on national television. Like they cut his set uh, at the iHeart I, I Radio thing, and he uh, they cut his set short. At which point he took his uh, guitar, smashed it all over the stage, spewed a lot of uh, you know colorful metaphors, and and stormed off the stage. And I thought, well, that's not going to work out very well. Uh, and he checked into rehab, I guess, the next day. But what I was reminded of was in that world that I had come out of was that sometimes like, stuff doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. And if, you've, if you probably know this, it's like sort of infamous in the world. But there are you know, artists try to do everything they can to control that with their thing that they call the artist writer. And in there are infamous ones and famous ones. And I, was, I saw that uh, J-Lo uh, was doing a uh, charity fundraiser for some kids in Africa who's fighting AIDS. And so she's going to do a, an appearance there. And when you're uh, going to take, you know, 
take your time and invest in these kids who are so desperately, you know, need your help, that what you're really going to need to make that happen is white flowers and white furniture and Cuban food. And the list kind of went on. I'm like, oh, wow. Hope the food was good. Or, <laughs> or you, you see that, uh, I think it's MIA. You know, that, uh, no, it wasn't. It was Mary J. Blige. If you, if you had Mary J. Blige come to your town for a show, you would need to, if whatever hotel she was in was required to place a new toilet seat on the toilet for her to perform there. <laughs> now, in fairness, <laughs> well, she's not at the Super 8 either, so I mean, you know. But what's f funny is if you've been around a while, you probably remember one of the most infamous ones that for a while everybody thought might be an urban legend was the, uh, if you uh, had, uh, had the Van Halen coming in in the 80s, they had in their rider this thing that said, hey, you, if you're going to have us in there, uh, we, we love the M&Ms, we want a big bowl of them, but we don't want any brown ones in there at all. And that was on their rider. And it was funny, it was uh, David Lee Roth in one of his moments of sanity, they're far and few between, but when they're there, uh, he, uh, in an interview just this year, uh, he said, hey, well, here's why we did that. Here's, it's true, we did that and here's why. Because we'd get to a show and we'd bring all this stuff, semis full of stuff. And they wouldn't have read the writer that said that we need X amount of feet of clearance to get through here or we would need this amount of electrical power for the lights. And so what, we got so tired of them saying that they read the writer and then this didn't happen, that we knew that the moment we showed up into our dressing room, if there were brown M&Ms in that bowl, that it was not going to be a good day. That was somebody that had not read the writer. And what a writer ultimately does is basically communicates the will of the artist to the promoter. And they sound kind of like, like a joke. Well, that's not really as tall as I was expecting. They sound kind of like a joke. There we go. But, you know, they, they do serve a purpose because the promoter doesn't know the artist. And I've been around. I mean, I've, you, know, you have two semis pull up. I kind of have to have somewhere to park them. You know, I need a place to put the buses. I, you know, there's things that have to happen. And so that's, the writer served that purpose of making the will of the artist known to the promoter because the promoter just didn't know. And in Romans 12, verse 1, we see Paul write these words when he says, therefore, and whenever you see a therefore in the scripture, what do you do? You've got to look at the verses before to see what it's there for. And when he's saying the therefore, he's, he's right after this doxology of saying, man, how amazing, in verse 33, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Because of that, I'm begging you, I urge you, brothers, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed.
transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Lord, would you give us insight this morning into your word, into your, the depth of you, that the, this word is, I believe, for us today, for a, for a light for our feet and a lamp to our path. It's in your name that we pray, amen. How many here, if you are uh, being honest, are in a place in your life where you feel like I'm trying to figure out God's will, whether it's for a job, whether it's for direction or future, or how, how many just, and I got my hand up too, incidentally, but how many would say that this morning? Like, there, I got, there's something coming down the pipeline, I don't know. What is God's will for my life? My phone has rang a lot this past month, and I don't know if there's like a disturbance in the force, or, but it's like this thing that's been happening of people that are calling and saying, hey, dude, how how did you know when it was time to leave your company and risk it all and and go do this, this church thing? How did you know? And maybe that's the only reason they assume that because I did this, that I might have a secret or two, and I got to tell you, that's, they're woefully uh, disappointed. But it's been multiple people in multiple streams of guys saying, man, I'm, I'm, I'm 38 years old. I, I, don't, I hate my job. I, I'm miserable, and I feel like God wants me to do this, but I don't know how to do it. And over and over again. And so this search is on for God's will for our lives. What do we do? Shannon and I were minding our own business with our company. And it was going well. Like we were, you know, having like a really good year. It was a company that I actually kind of, if I'm being honest, accidentally started because we had another company and I'd done a, uh, the, the 9-11 happened and it was like, this is not going to go well. So now what do I do? And basically I shut down that company on a Friday. We took our toys, went home. And on Monday I opened this business of, uh, it was October of 2001. And, you know, 10 years later-ish, nine, uh, it was going great. We had employees, we had clients that were doing well and it was awesome. And I was miserable. Inside, it was a weird thing. It wasn't that I hated the job. Don't get me wrong. I got, you, know, you get around long enough in the music business. There are those guys. It's just really fun to throw rocks at the music business and cynical. And I mean, every look, every healthcare. I don't care. You've all there are all issues in every industry. So it, I wasn't one of those like professional cynics. Music was good to my family. It was a cool job. When you're on an airplane and you t- what do you do for a living? Uh, well, in the music business. It's, it's you, you feel kind of cool. But then I didn't. Just suddenly I didn't. Suddenly I was, like I'd get in the car in the morning and I felt like a pit in my stomach. I'm driving in. And suddenly I'm feeling like, uh, well, this, this isn't good. Like, what, now what do I do? I mean, it did, like, if I worked at like a job, I could put in a two-week notice, which incidentally would still be, had been scary. But I had like employees that needed me to not do something stupid. You know, clients. And it was like, oh no, what do we do? And I had, for the longest time in my life, thought, when I was a little guy, I, I, I really thought that I was called into ministry and I was going to do something someday. But I, and I had it all figured out because I'm, you know, 
I'm, uh, I, I think I'm smart. And so my idea was I'm going to travel and speak and be thoughtful, probably smoke a pipe, wear one of those jackets with the to uh, tweed things on the elbows, write books, and fly around and do things. And then, you know, because the pastor, it's like a lot of, a lot of mopping involved. You know what I'm saying? You saw that this morning, but that was, uh, it was a metaphor. But it's, I liked the idea of the traveling speaker guy because I could do like a hit and run. Sniper. You know, just you're thinking that I'm gone. Someone else has got to come clean it up. That felt like a great gig to me. And it made sense because all I did for most of my life was book music artists into events and churches. So I knew guys everywhere. I could today decide I'm going to do this a year from now. I could book myself into these things and I, I would only have one client, me, and it would be easy and then one day I could stop being a manager and the next day I could be the thoughtful guy writing books and it was awesome. It was the greatest plan. It just wasn't God's plan. And interestingly enough, part of those days when I was starting to kind of feel this, this discomfort of what's next for me and what do I do, I actually got a phone call from a an organization, because around that same time, we had started this uh, thing that we called Conduit Bible Study. And that was 2007, and we were meeting at the listening room in downtown Franklin, and I had this idea in my mind that whatever money came in, we'd just give it away. And we started with uh, this little operation in Haiti and a uh, place of hope down in Columbia, and, and it was awesome. No pressure. I didn't care if it wouldn't... I didn't, it didn't have to grow. It was just awesome. We just get in there and just dig in the scriptures. The thing about going through the word, though, is then the word goes through you, and then it starts to do things in you, divides between your soul and your spirit. And so I'm kind of minding my own business with this, and we're thinking, okay, but this, this, this may be it. I can do this. And people all around were like, well, that's a church. You can call it whatever you want to, but that's a church. And our tagline is, we're not a church. We just act like one. It was on our website. And there was just a handful of us. I mean, Jeremy and Amber were there, and Craig and Bethany. There's several of you that were there, but we just thought that was it. And then I thought I could still go be the traveling speaker guy. Because, you know, I was thinking, well, Joyce Meyer, she started with Bible studies, and then she went and did traveling speaking. So I don't, it's not a church. Dumb, 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 dumb. So three years in, it was this moment of realizing, I think it might be a church. And the reason we don't know how to define it is because we're trying to define it by what it's not. And it was almost like the Lord was saying, hey, that's, you, you can shoot your mouth off about churches all you want to, but it might be time for you to uh, put your money where your mouth is, or where your blog is. And it was in that moment, around summer of 2008, nine, when Shannon and I realized that this was it, and everything was going to be different and I remember we got in the car that night, and she said, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to cry. And I'm like, me too. That's cool. Let's just, let's. <laughs> everybody be cool. <laughs> don't freak out. But it was the moment of, like, I knew. And what I had done at that point was that the, the phone had rang a year before that, and the, and the guy called and said, hey, uh, he's with a nonprofit, and he was... Uh, feeding children around the world. He said, I'll give you, I, I, we've, we've read your blog, we'd love for you to come to work for us, and we'll pay you money. You get like a dental plan and the whole thing, and all you got to do is book yourself into Sundays and just make a presentation on this organization, and you'll be, uh, you can do whatever else you want Monday through Saturday. And I'm thinking, uh, yes, yes, please. And 
and I felt sick to my stomach. This, my dream gig, someone dropped in my lap, and I'm like, uh, why does this make me want to throw up? And that night I went to bed, and they told me I needed to let them know by Monday, and Shannon and I talked about it a little bit, and the next day we were doing what we called the Haiti Ball, which was this annual dance, apologies to the Baptist, but we did the Rocket Town, we brought in, and we'd always have a special guest to come, a surprise guest to come in and do music, and, and that day my phone rang, and it was uh, the, the piano, it was actually uh, uh, Pastor W. Smith from up the road was, uh, was our special music guest, and, and the phone rang, and it was this lady named Diana Covey, and Diana Covey led me to Jesus when I was uh, like fourth grade. Her and her husband, he was a truck driver, and they, they found Jesus, and uh, like all of us, the sanctification sometimes takes longer than the justification. And so we would sit in their living room and he would study the scriptures, pounding marbles and reading the scriptures. And we were, and we didn't think anything of it. Jesus was in that, you know. But Diana called me and she said, uh, and I hadn't talked to her in a long time. And she said, Darren, you know that I never do this ever. But I, and she said, but I just, you've been asking. I just feel like the Lord has told me that if I don't tell you this, that I will, uh, I'm never going to get any sleep. So. And she says, if, it's, if it fits with you, what the Lord is saying to you, then that's great. And if not, just reject it. But I just, I have to say it. And she said, you've been asking yourself the question, is there more in this life, this ministry? Is there something for ministry in what you're doing? And is there more? And, and the answer is yes. But don't, and these were her words, don't kick the door down. And I knew immediately what she meant was don't kick the door down on the way out of what I was doing. Because had I have taken that opportunity, I would have kicked the door down and five people would have been unemployed almost immediately because they were saying that I would, you know, I couldn't, they couldn't coexist. It's almost, if you've never been an artist manager, Mo, you know, it's almost impossible to explain. It's, it's just a lifestyle that you get a paycheck for. Like they pay for access and availability. And so I couldn't, they could not coexist and I just knew it. And so I felt a piece about calling them and saying, thanks, but it's just not the right time. And it was a year later before this all became clear. A year later of me still driving in going, oh man, did I miss God? Did you ever feel that? Man, did I miss it? I mean, someone just gift wrapped me. Did I miss it? And what I learned during that time was I wanted to make, you probably don't want to make, but it's like you think that God's will is hard to find that I would spend my life digging, and it, like, when I'm trying to seek God's will, that it sort of presupposes that it's hard to find, that he's hiding it from me. And I don't think anything could be further from the truth. And you might be sitting here thinking, hey, uh, that's easy for you to say, but I got stuff staring me down right now, and I have decisions I've got to make. And I need to hear from him. Do I go here? Do I go there? And I think that that is not unlike people of Israel. You might remember that in Jeremiah 31 that there was a promise that part of the new, the new covenant promise for us was he would write his will on your hearts and on your minds. Jeremiah 31, 31. He says, I'll write my will on your hearts and on your minds. He would go on to say, you might, you, some of us would think, yeah, but I, man, I got a lot of stuff in my life, a lot of crap. And if just verse 34, a couple of verses later, he says, and I will forgive them of their sins and I will remember them no more. His love is that big. It's that great. 
He wants to write his will on your hearts, on your minds. And I feel like that there's this idea that I can't find it because I'm struggling to get, what is it, God? How do I figure it out? And I think that that might have been what the people of Israel thought. In Psalm 105, does anybody remember this story of when they were leaving Egypt? He would say to them in Psalm 105, verse 39. Have you guys got it yet? He talked here about the idea, this is David the psalmist, writing about the idea that the Lord was going to lead them out and how he led them out of Egypt. And it says that he spread out a cloud as a covering in verse 39 and a fire to give light in the night. They asked and he brought them quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. And he opened the rock and water gushed out and like a river it flowed in the desert. At night there would be a fire that would show up and it wasn't like a cruel thing. Have you guys, have you been in a desert before? Any sort of a desert experience like out in, the, in the, whether it's California? Or, you know something about nighttime in the desert. It gets cold in the desert. The Lord was bringing fire not to scorch them, but to warm them. To bring them comfort, to protect them and to guide them. And also, if you have been in the desert... Kyle, you probably speak to this, Afghanistan maybe a little bit, but if you've been in the desert during the day, it's hot, like hot, hot. And so when you hear about a cloud that is leading them by day and a fire by night, understand that this was a gift for them. Because what they would have maybe thought what I thought anyway was that if the cloud was, tell me if this is what you thought when you think of this story. And you know what? Blame it on the flannel graphs, if nothing else. But maybe you had this flannel graph in your church growing up. If you didn't grow up in the church, you don't know what I'm talking about. But this picture of there's like a cloud, like a chimney. Like it's, remember I dream of Jeannie, right? Did she come out of the thing? And that was the cloud until it moved. And then it went somewhere else. But that isn't the picture. It says here that it spread out over the top of them. And so during the day when it would have been scorching hot for them, the entire sky would have been covered with clouds to keep them cool. Cool by day. Warm at night. They would stay there, and when the clouds would move, it got a little hot, a little uncomfortable, until finally, when well, we got to get out of here, it's hot. Where do we go? It's cloudy that way. I see it looks like a storm is rising on that horizon. Let's go there. The Lord's will is about us being in his 
What is it Psalm 91 says, under the shadow of the Almighty? That I can be in the shade. Look, I, it's got to be one of God's biggest sense of humor jokes to the places that he has sent me. I do not like to be hot at all. And if you've been to Haiti, if you've been to Blackman's Parish, Louisiana, where we were last month, like, it's just hot. But man, when a cloud would come over, it is amazing what one cloud can do to a biggin like me standing on a roof in Louisiana. If you go with me to Haiti, you'll see that I have a system. I know where to stand between the trees because the breeze will come through there. I know where to stand in the house because the wind where the breeze comes in that way and I've got them all figured out. But man, when it's cloudy, and we were there this summer in Togo, Africa, and it was cloudy so much of the time, and man, I was giddy about that. Because the clouds, and the minute the clouds would come off, you're like, oh man, it's hot. It made so much difference. What I'm saying is that the Lord's will, cheesy, it's cool. How did you know that this is what you're supposed to do? It was cool. It was a good idea. How did you know that this pastor thing was what you're supposed to do? Well, it was, for my whole life, it sounded like the dumbest thing I could ever do. I went to Bible school sometimes, and I didn't want to hang out with the pastor guys because they were all really serious. They were no fun at all. And all of a sudden, I wanted to. And all of a sudden, I began to realize what he said when he, the Lord said uh, in Psalm 37, to delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. For so long, I read that, I'll delight, I'll be happy about God, and he'd give me everything I want. Sounded great, right? There's a guy named Augustine that did a, uh, I feel like that he nailed it when one of his students asked him, how do we know God's will for our lives? How do we know? And he said to them, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And then, do what you want. Is it possible? Am I oversimplifying it? If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, if you delight yourself in Him, it says that He will direct your steps, give you the desires of your heart. And what I realized as I got older was it didn't mean He'd give me what I want. He would give me what to want, and I would want it. And it wouldn't be a burden because I wanted to do it. And if you've known me for any length of time, you know that that is a ridiculous thought that I want to be a pastor. My mama, it's all she ever wanted. I worked in the music business for 18 years and when she would introduce me or talk about me, well, you know, my son, the minister. Because <laughs> I went to Bible school like 20 years ago. That's what she wanted. I didn't want that, not this. And now I do and it's awesome. I wake up thinking, are you kidding me? This is awesome. Keeping in mind, we've put up with more stuff in these past two years. We have risked more. We have had less than we've had in ever, I guess. And, and we're, we're satisfied. And it wasn't because I'm so spiritual or so smart, but because I had finally come to the place in my life where I was so miserable that I said to God, I don't care. I'll do whatever you want. And for the first time in my life, I meant it. 
Before that, I, had, I was Van Halen. Like, I was like, hey, God, I'll follow you, but here's about 20 pages worth of stuff that I will and will not do. Because, I, you know, look, you know me, I don't like to be hot. You know, I, I had, in my, my writer, I had this section called the I don't have a heart for that section. You know what I'm saying? That you're like, well, that's great for you kids in Africa. I don't really have a heart for that. I got a heart for, you know, that, I had that and all those things that, that I had, uh, that didn't want to do, and I wrote them all there, and, and I came to a place where I finally ripped up my writer and said, I don't care, whatever, and it wasn't like overnight, like I didn't have like a, you know, the genie came out of the bottle, and now you do this, and none of that, but all of a sudden, things began to become clear as the direction that I was supposed to go, and I saw something this week. I was listening to a pastor uh, named John Corson, who is uh, very smart. And he pointed out something that I had never seen before, and that was in Ezekiel 44. And we don't have time to turn there this morning, but you can write it down and go later. But I'll read it to you. When the priests, it's 44:18, that the priests, when they were given their outfits, they were told this, that they're to wear linen turbans on their heads and linen undergarments around their waists. They must not wear anything that makes them sweat. And if you go to Deuteronomy 21, you'll see that there's another promise or a command there to tell them, don't mix wool with any of this. And look, as a kid, you know, uh, hot woolen pants, I'm very grateful for that command. Wear Linen. And why? Because linen is cool. It breathes. Now think with me on this. Our priest, our high priest, Jesus, also wore linen. Does anybody remember when? Our high priest was, it says, clothed in linen. In John 19, when he laid his life down. And you're thinking, oh, Darren, I thought you said that being in God's will was cool, and it's awesome. And it is, and it begins to make sense to me when I read in Romans 12 that I am to lay my life down as a living sacrifice, and here's why. God knows me better than I do. He thinks things I can't think. He knows things I can't know. Because here's a little secret. That gig, that phone call that I got, hey, go travel. I'm 41 years old. I got four kids. And man, I I didn't want to go. I like my family. I like you. You're a very nice lady. (laughs) I didn't want to go. That whole thing that sounded awesome 20 years ago was like, ooh, that's not very cool. I'd spent my life with a front row seat to people traveling and going, that's a hard way to live. That's fun for like the first 13 times. And then you don't get a new toilet seat in your hotel room and the whole thing's falling apart. (laughs) But when I would lay down my life as a living sacrifice, I'm putting on the linen Jesus' linen, what he put down, and I don't have to die. I get to be the living sacrifice, clothed in 
his garments of white and purity, linen so that it's cool and the old never let him see you sweat. I don't have to because his will is not a burden. You, you look at somebody like Pastor Yusef and Iran and you think, man, how? I could never do that. Right, because God didn't call you to. But I promise you that if he did, you'd survive it and you would have his grace in the middle of it. His linen on you. And for me today, I believe there's a truth that his will, if you think about it, there's, let's say, say Festament, three million Jewish people camped in the wilderness. Imagine how the entire sky would have been cloudy to cover that many people. There is a lot of room under God's shadow to do what you want. And when you're at the moment, when you're saying, I do love you, Lord, whatever you want, I'll... what do you want to do? That is the Lord writing his idea on your heart and on your mind. The thing you think of, it makes your heart jump. <gasps> That's awesome. But you don't have to beat the door down to do it. You don't have to kick the door down. You just stay under the shadow of the Almighty, knowing that if it's getting a little hot where you are, just look to where maybe some storm clouds are guiding, going and, and head that direction. Practically speaking, though, here's what that means. I spent a lot of time seeking his will and not him. If you know your daddy, I don't have the best relationship with my father. It's not, we don't, he's not mean, we just don't. You know, it's not that. So I don't know what he thinks a lot. Just the, the way he was raised, it's, you know, we, just, we just don't have that, you know. But if you have the relationship with a father where you know him, you know his will because you know him. It's like standing on the side of the pool saying, I want to get wet, I want to get wet, I want to get wet. Just jump in. Getting wet comes with the program. When I'm seeking him and delighting in him, and I'll tell you this, if I spent as much energy delighting in him and seeking him and under his shadow as I did trying to figure out what he wanted me to do, I would have been a whole lot less miserable. Because the faith moment is I'm under this shadow saying I'm going to be okay. Whether I'm moving here or there or whatever it is, I, I, all I know is I'm under this cloud, this shadow, this shade, in the breeze of God's will. The Rankins were sharing that when they were in Thailand trying to figure out where do we stay here do we come back they've been there for years and what do we do and Angelus uh, emailed me and said that one of the things that they felt like God was saying back well what do you want to do and I'd say to you this morning God you're like oh God please tell me your will ah. maybe he's just saying hey calm down chill out hang out for a while what do you want to do he's not Hitler <laughs> you know what I mean Go do. Hey, what do you want to do? You love me. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let you screw this up. I think that probably the biggest present that I ever got from the Lord was the wisdom that I am not smart enough to make something happen that God does not want to, and I'm not dumb enough to keep something from happening that he wants to happen. Because his will is grander than that. And he can say, hey, choose this, and you this, and hey, I really do need to get you here by this point. So he'll nudge, he'll this, he'll bump you there, but you'll get to where you're going. I'll tell this story one more time as, the, as our uh, worship leaders come back for one more song. But 
we were in uh, the Big South Fork National Park. You've heard the story. I apologize for retelling it, but it was so amazing because we were, Tim was there. Tim was riding a horse that was a little stubborn. But we were, the city boy with us named Larry or Jerry or Bill, let's just go with Bill. He was, his horse threw a shoe. And we're like in the, I mean, in the wilderness riding horses, like paths. And, and we had Larry, the crazy horse guy, who was our mentor, our pack guy. And he's like, he's like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So he tells uh, Bill to go back to the barn and get the shoe and then come back and then meet us on the trail. And then, I mean, the city kids, St. Louis, Buffalo, and he's trying to be all tough. But he, would, he told the story as I'm riding back going, oh, man, what am I going to do? What if I can't find him? What if I this? What if I that? And so we're going, and I'm up at the front with Larry because my horse was crazy and kept wanting to go ahead. And, and, and we come, we're going, and, and I'm thinking, well, we're going a long ways. And then we come to a fork in the road. And I'm thinking, well, now what's Bill going to do? And I couldn't figure out why Larry wasn't more stressed than he was. How is it possible? How's he going to find us? Is he going to go right? Is he going to left? He'll figure it out. A couple hours later, we're down kind of by the river, and, and I see up at the top of the hill a little bit, there's Bill on his horse. What Larry knew was that road came back to the same road after a while. It was just the high road or the low road. And I'll get to Scotland before you. Is that how that goes? Larry knew that that road was getting there one way or the other. God knows your road is getting one way or the other. You're getting to the same destination, which is his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And my prayer for you this morning, and we'll talk about this more in the weeks to come, but is that he does have a plan, and he's got a purpose for you, and half of that plan is, hey, what do you want to do? Delight in me, seek me, and I'll guide you. Oh, you'll figure it out. It'll become apparent. Those things will happen. They'll fall in place. But don't freak out. Just get under the shadow of the Almighty, Psalm 91. And you're safe. It's the secret place. Delight in Him. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Download Him into you, what you're supposed to want, what you do want. And not only will He give you the desires to do it, He'll give you the ability. You don't have to figure that out. He'll open the door at the right point, the time. And I'll say this to those of you that are in that moment right now. When I look back over it, the tension that you feel, the pit in your stomach and your gut that you feel right now, embrace it, the tension as a, as a gift, because what it did for me and what I pray it'll do for you is cause you to lean more on the Father and less on you. The pit in my stomach was because I was trying to figure it out. And it took me a while to realize, oh, I don't have to live this way. I'll throw that away and then lead into him and then he'll figure it out. And you sitting even in here today is evidence that I didn't do anything. God did it. I just said, oh yeah, this is what we want to do now. Let's go do it. I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. I don't know how I'm going to figure this out. But we're under the shadow of the Almighty. And maybe someday the clouds will clear in the Tylers and it'll get a little hot around here. And it's time for us to go somewhere. I don't know. I like it. I really like it here. But that's how Israel went. They'd stay for a while, sometimes years, and then the clouds would move. And then it'd get hot, unbearable, and they'd follow the clouds. And then they finally, eventually, like you will, like I will, like Shannon will, enter his kingdom, the ultimate destination, the promised land. Lord, would you give us peace today? 
that we can know your will. That it's not burdensome, it's not complicated, it's you. You said to come unto you if we were weary and heavy laden, that your yoke was easy, your burden was light, and that's what I, I want for all of us to experience that today. We don't have to have the burden. Your will is easy. It's simple. And today might we abide, whatever the, the stuff the, all around us, just abide in your shadow today. Whatever's going on outside the clouds, uh, we have no control. We just know we're here in your shadow and have the freedom to go and to do what we want as we uh, delight ourselves in you, knowing it's what you want us to want. In your name we pray. Amen.